it is time for us to focus. And we're in the middle of a series called Mind Games. Now, tonight I have made a decision that I would like to bring to your attention a scenario right out of the Old Testament where mind games are being played. Full-on, full-blown, easy to see from our perspective thousands of years later, but not quite so easy to see by those who were the individuals actually playing out and watching the literal story unfold in all of its gruesome and fearful glory. <laughs> I'm just thankful we live when we do, and uh, I'm thankful we serve the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. He's alive and well, and the same God who delivered in the Old Testament is the God who will deliver you today, right here and right now, and help us to be those who are successful and victorious over the mind games that the devil is wanting to play. Can I remind you that this coming Sunday, 11 o'clock a.m., our worship service begins. We have a baby dedication. We also have a very special transition that's going to be taking place as we bless some ministry leadership in a transitional mode. It's going to be so beautiful and exciting. And then we have a wedding reception following the morning service as well as a fundraiser. So this coming Sunday, 11 a.m., bring a friend. Going to be a wonderful and life-impacting Sunday. And then Sunday night, we have home mission continuing, and we'll continue with our next step in carrying our church mission into your home. Isn't it sensible that whatever your church's mission is should be your home mission? And if it is your home mission, it will really be something that is bringing about continuity, clarity, and I believe power into our world because we're not just confining it to our church environment, but we're literally taking it to the streets, taking it out and taking it into our world. So we're excited about that. Folks, thank you for giving me just a moment to share with you a, a bit of news. Now, mind games. I would like for you to take your Bible, hopefully you have a Bible nearby, and we're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Okay, I'm turning with you. 2 Chronicles chapter number 32, and a powerful scriptural uh, passage that we're going to look at. Um, and I believe in Jesus' name you're going to be encouraged. 2 Chronicles 32. <laughs> are you all ready for this? I hope your day's been good. I hope you are really ready right now to focus in on the things of the Lord. This is a story about Assyria invading God's territory, God's people. Hezekiah faithfully carried out his work. The Bible says after he had carried out his faithfully, uh, faithfully carried work, um, King Sennacherib invaded Judah. There's so much material right there. After Hezekiah had faithfully carried out his work, here comes the enemy. Here comes the plunderer. Wouldn't you think that God would reward your faithfulness? How about this? God knows what's best. And he knows when there is time, and the time has arrived for our faithfulness to be tested. So, Hezekiah had faithfully carried out his work. King Sennacherib of Assyria invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified towns, giving orders for his army to break through their walls. Hezekiah realized that Sennacherib, this is the devil's advocate. This is the man representing the devil. Sennacherib is the ungodly. 
heathenistic, the antagonistic party in this story. Hezekiah realized Sennacherib also intended to attack Jerusalem. That's headquarters. That's the capital. That's where God's people have their literal central worship there in, in Jerusalem. Hezekiah consulted with his officials and his military advisors, and they decided to stop the flow of springs outside the city. They organized a huge work crew to stop the flow of the springs, cutting off the brook that ran through the fields. They didn't want their enemy to be satisfied in their thirst when they came along. They said, why should the kings of Assyria come here and find plenty of water? Then Hezekiah worked hard at repairing all the broken sections of the wall, erecting towers, constructing a second wall outside the first. He reinforced the supporting terraces in the city of David, and he manufactured large, number, large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people, assembled them before him in the square at the city gate. Then Hezekiah encouraged them. Who did he encourage? His military officers. He said these words in verse number 7. He says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power far greater on our side. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Isn't it interesting the way the Lord directed my attention to this passage? My God is greater than your God if you are Sennacherib, if you are Pharaoh. Be strong, he tells his military officers. He says, this Sennacherib may have a great army, but they're merely men. We have the Lord God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. Perhaps Pastor Haman should stop right here and say, I'm not the king, but if I am here as a shepherd over your soul, can I just encourage you with these words? Our God is greater, and we are merely facing mortals around us who would like to destroy our faith. It is God who is the one who is going to sustain us, and it's God who will destroy our enemy and bring everything that is wrong to being right. Can you say amen? While King Sennacherib of Assyria was still besieging the town of Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message. Now, here, here this is where the mind games begin. Here's the message that the king is sending to Hezekiah and all the people of the city. This is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says. Open up the scroll, king, and here's the message that has been hand-delivered. What are you trusting that makes you think you can survive my siege of Jerusalem? Hezekiah has said, The Lord our God will rescue us from the king of Assyria. Surely Hezekiah is misleading you, sentencing you to death by famine and thirst. Don't you realize that Hezekiah is the very person who destroyed all the Lord's shrines and altars? He commanded Judah and Jerusalem to worship only at the altar at the temple and to offer sacrifices on it alone? Surely you must realize that I and the other kings of Assyria before me have done what we have done to all the people of the earth. Were any of the gods of those nations able to rescue their people from our power? Which of their gods was able to rescue its people from the destructive power of my predecessors? What makes you think your God can rescue you from me? 
Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let him fool you like this. I say it again. No God of any nation or kingdom has ever been able to rescue his people from me or my ancestors. How much less will your God rescue you from my power? Mind games. The devil sent a message and he's using manipulation and psychological warfare. The king also wrote letters scorning the Lord, the God of Israel. He wrote, Just as the gods of all the other nations failed to rescue their people from my power, so the God of Hezekiah will also fail. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew to the people gathered on the walls of the city, trying to terrify them so it would be easier to capture the city. These officers talked about the God of Jerusalem as though he were one of the pagan gods made by human hands. Then Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to the Lord God of heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian army with all of its commanders and officers. So Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. That's how the Lord rescued Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from King Sennacherib of Assyria and, all, and from all the others who threatened them. So there was peace throughout the land. There's a lot more time spent in this story talking about the things that angered, that stirred up, that potentially could have been confused and brought conflict into the ranks of God's people. Whenever the devil launches his salvos of mind games, be careful where you are standing. For if you are standing on the side of those who are uncertain, on the fringes, you will most likely be brought to your knees in fear. But if I were you, I would say, Pastor, find me right there next to you and the center core leadership of Calvary. We're going to stand strong and face the enemy who tries to discourage and who tries to bring discontent and fear to God's people. Just to simplify, in your hearing today, may I share with you the elements of the mind games we just read about. So absolutely important. Here's what happened. This is the scenario. The battle resource that I hope you are grabbing a hold of through this series is what King Hezekiah tried his best to place into the hands of the people. And that is this. You need to be strong. Be strong in the middle of COVID. Be strong in the middle of fires and natural disasters. Be strong in the middle of rioting and political unrest. Be strong and take your stand against the enemy. That's why the Apostle Paul said, having done all to stand. And he also said, this battle resource is absolutely necessary. Praying always. I hope to find you and me in a mindset where we are doing our very best to constantly commune with our Lord God Almighty. Whether it's upon your bed, whether it's as you awaken, whether it's as you're going through your day and doing your work, may the Lord find us communing with Him. 
And I trust that once a day minimum, you are finding time to put everything away, aside, turned off, and say, Lord, I must commune with you, praying always. That's the key right there. The challenge the Assyrians made were these. Sennacherib sent these ambassadors to deliver this threatful, terrifying message to the Judeans and to try to get them to cower in surrender. These really are one long series of insults that simply belittle God, but they are all mind games. Listen closely as I share it with you today. The belittling, and let's uncover the belittling. They make vividly clear who the invaders are ultimately challenging. They're really not challenging any person. They're not challenging a king, and they're not challenging a kingdom. Can I tell you when it's all said and done that the devil's mind games he's playing on you are really not intended to challenge you? They're intended to challenge God. And God takes those matters very seriously. He takes those challenges very seriously. And it ought to encourage you to realize you're just the middleman. <laughs> Don't get all caught up thinking it's all about you. It's about God. And my God is greater. Here are the four ways the challenge defamed God. Number one, death is what trusting God will get the Judeans. That's what the devil wants you to think. Death is what you'll get if you trust in God. Rather than deliverance, you're going to die by hunger and thirst. You're God powerless to defend you. Number two, defeat of God already is apparent in his inability to stop Hezekiah from taking away his high places and altars. What a lie from the pit of hell. That argument's based on ignorance of the real explanation for the removal of all of those high places on altars. They were removed because they were false worship locations that were devoted to other gods. The enemy loves to distort truth. The enemy loves to dupe you and me, if we're unwary, by clever mind games. Here they are. Number three, destiny, sure for God. Other gods of attacked nations were unable to defeat the lethal Assyria. So God will have to get in line and fall when his time comes. What a lie. That huge error degrades God to the level of idols. The devil has been doing this for thousands of years. You and I better not be pawns in his hand. It is very much high time for us to accept our point in time in history and say we have far too many examples, far too much waters under the bridge for us to fall prey to his tactics. Number four, deceit in claiming God's backing. The Assyrian commander purports to have God's directive to destroy in Judah. God does sometimes use other nations in judgment, yes, God sometimes uses a, a, a plague or a pestilence to judge His people. Yes, we know that. Sometimes those things are necessary and God will often judge. And in sometimes in the book of Judges we see that God uses Assyrians against the northern kingdom and the Babylonians versus Judah. But here today, let's be awake and aware of the context. The context of a righteous focus in Judah that's the twist 
that the truth is having to resist. It's in trying to incline Judeans to yield as if God is capitulating, realizing that defeat is inevitable. So it's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, to tell you tonight that Hezekiah's response to that challenge was powerful. He said he and his prophet Isaiah prayed. They prayed sincerely and they prayed desperately before God. Hezekiah tore his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth. He went to the temple to seek the Lord in prayer. Oh God, find us really wanting to go where the Lord's presence was last experienced. When we're going through a torturous mind game that the enemy has thrown our way, let's not forget we're not the first. Isn't it beautiful that Almighty God brought this situation to a swift conclusion and brought about a massive and masterful victory that didn't take chapters to explain. All it takes is just a few words to see that God sent an angel who took the lives of 185,000 Assyrian warriors in one night. That cut down the top brass and the most honored soldiers and the enemy survivors the next morning. They must have awakened and realized, whoa, we're doomed. They must have felt the cold grip of panic upon them, those enemies. Such a massive loss spoke very clearly that widespread death was coming if they lingered. So they ran. Sennacherib ordered his forces to beat a hasty retreat out of that region and back to Assyria. The armies slunk away like whipped dogs that have their tails between their legs. And history tells us in 681 B.C., Sennacherib himself was slain by his older sons, probably in an attempted coup, for he'd bypassed them to give the throne to a younger son. So you see, God defended his people. And that he did so as their faithful prayer-answering God is what we need to take home with us today. And that what we need to remember today, at the same time, it also answers Solomon's prayers that he had prayed years earlier for those who look to God in his house and trust in him. God, let us find you in your house. Lord, let us find you in your dwelling place. Where is his dwelling place in the New Testament? Technically, it is in your heart and my heart. We can turn to him in our prayer closet any moment of any day and just desperately make a cry and expect for Him to come in your defense. What a celebration of victory followed this whole scenario. The verses follow up the deliverance in multiple ways. First, there's the summarizing of the victory, what the Lord has done and, and, and what He said He would do, what was actually satisfied and, and, and settled. The promise came true. And that's the God you and I serve today. And the second is like a party. They literally have themselves a jubilee celebration. God's display of His Godhood prompted joy in many to bestow gifts of honor to Him. And also Hezekiah, coming from the people of Judah and those of other nations who wanted to be in good favor because these people serve an awesome God. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful, friends and family? Those of you watching, thank you for taking time to partake and, and participate. Mind Games. The Noun series, the Noun Mind Games is a series of actions or responses 
planned for their psychological effect on someone else. That's exactly what the devil has in mind for your mind, to play games with your mind. Not a single mind game the devil plays with you is intended to remain at a nice, casual, double-minded stage. Remember this from last week? That's where it begins with doubt. But that doubt is not what the devil has in mind. When you begin to doubt, remember, I know what he wants to do. His conclusion is my demise and my spiritual bankruptcy. God, please don't let me go there. Can I remind you that we stand against the wiles? That's the inroads the devil makes into our minds. And we are not ignorant of his devices. Remember from a couple weeks ago? That word devices means mind games. We're not ignorant of his mind games. Soon, if we allow double-minded and doubtfulness to settle in, the enemy's desire will come to fruition and it'll move beyond that double-mindedness to becoming full-blown deception and a stronghold that will disqualify you and me if we're victims from ever having a pure mind. Anybody want a pure mind? That's the goal of this series is to breathe fresh air into the opportunity you and I have to live our lives with a pure mind, a pure mind in Jesus' name. There are so many examples of clever tactics and mind games that the devil seeks to play. So many examples. Uh, in fact, could I get your interaction? That's right, you watching right now. Would you stop whatever you're doing and watch this? I have a quick question for you. Would you join in and either text me Email me, or you can comment right here if you're on Facebook or YouTube, whatever the case may be. But I'd like for you to share with me the list of mind games that you are aware of that the devil likes to play. I'm going to give you some examples. It would be most helpful if you could write down mind games that you're currently experiencing, you're currently needing victory over, and we'll do our best to get to those in a future lesson. But harsh speech coming at you from somewhere and someone unexpected, that's the beginning of a mind game. Personal attacks, it's a mind game. Insults thrown at you, mind game. Misleading description, just like Sennacherib, just like Sennacherib to Hezekiah saying, you've torn down all those idols. How in the world can you have any power? Oh, come on, he's misleading the people. If they listen to what he's saying, they'll fall prey. They'll begin the mind game. They'll begin it with being doubtful. Thank God for a strong leader named Hezekiah who stood up and said, we will not listen to these mind games. We're going to pray, and we're going to stay strong. Another one is fear-mongering. Things that bring about, bring about fear causing your mind to tend towards panic, mind games. Innuendo. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? When people 
Maybe they don't come right out and say what they're thinking. But what they do come right out and say is powerfully overwhelming and begins a mind game. Don't forget, it starts with doubt. Rumor, that's a mind game. Anybody ever had anybody rumor on you? Spread a rumor? Slander? The list could go on and on and on. But I want to encourage everybody who's tuned in tonight to remember something very important. That regardless as to what mind game you can name or what mind game you may be facing tonight, right now, you do not have to give in and you can stand strong and you will be victorious if you will follow Jesus' example. I got some beautiful examples from our Lord God Almighty. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the ultimate solution. The ultimate way to come through our mind games and have flying colors. Hallelujah! Having passed the test and having won the game. The Bible tells us that Jesus, when He was full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned to Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness. There He was tempted. This is Luke 4. He was tested. He was tried by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when he was completed, he was hungry. Then the devil said, if you're the son of God... Now, notice this. The devil didn't, didn't tempt him with something he wasn't interested in. Being human, the devil knew where his weakness was. And the devil started a mind game. Since he was hungry after those 40 days of fasting were completed, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, order this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Wow. A split second. There's no doubt that the human side of Jesus had his stomach rumble and think how wonderful it would be to bite into that soft aromatic, buttered bread. Well, I don't know if it was buttered or not, <laughs> but he didn't stop. He didn't even doubt. He didn't even have a double mind. For instantly, Jesus replies, it is written. Please, find the place that Jesus is talking about where this is written and read it. It's called your Bible. That's right. The devil used the same tool you have access to. It's your Bible. Know it. Love it. Carry it. Memorize it. This is how you can overcome this incredibly successful tactic of the devil to create an inroad into your mind. You stop him in his tracks like Jesus and you say, It is written. Jesus continues, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. God's words. Then the devil took him up to a high mountain. Time for the second mind game. 
and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the habitable world in a moment of time, twinkling of an eye. And here's what the devil said to Jesus. To you, I will give all this power and authority in their glory. Mm. you got to think about it. He was overlooking the magnificent, sparkling blue sea of the Caribbean, all the way to the heights of Mount Everest, the inhabitable world of that moment in time, all of the power, all of the, all of the governmental structures and whatever was in the world at that point in time. Here is the devil's temptation. He says, I will give you all this power and authority and their glory, all their magnificence, all their excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace. I'm going to give it all to you, Jesus. For it has been turned over to me, and I can give it to whoever I want to. Therefore, if you will do homage to and worship me just once, it shall all be yours. And Jesus replied to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written, You shall do homage to and worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Third mind game. The devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on a gable of a temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give His angels charge over you, to guard and watch over you closely and carefully, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Not even a momentary doubt entered Jesus' mind. The Bible says He replied, The Scripture says you shall not tempt, test, or try the Lord your God. And then the devil, ending this cycle of temptation, he left Jesus, waiting for a more opportune and favorable time. The Bible says He left Him for a season. Then Jesus went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee, and the fame of Him spread through the whole region roundabout. I've got to tell you the reason why I just went through that entire temptation story for you is because I'd like for you to turn to 1 John 2.15. Please, 1 John 2.15. There is a purpose behind me bringing the story of Sennacherib and Hezekiah and the conflict and the power and the Holy Spirit that no doubt was responsible for the incredible outcome of the story. God did His wonders right there in front of His people, and it's recorded in history Recorded in the Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven. It's recorded for us, for you and for me, for a reason. To know that we have an enemy. And that enemy is still abounding. He is still, he's still seeking whom he may devour. He's still bringing mind games through temptation, these inroads, these devices. He wants to destroy you, friends. He wants to destroy your confidence in God. But I want to tell you, if you'll just remember, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of overcoming the mind games. This is how we have an upper hand. This is how we come out on top, and this is how we win. Are you ready for this? 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now watch this. Jesus is telling us in 1 John, for all that is in the world. Now that's a lot of stuff, all that is in the world. I mean, can we take time right now and list all that is in the world? No, can't do it. But he goes into three categories that capture the essence of all of the world. Are you ready for this? Here it is. All that is in the world. Number one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of those, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. The lust of the flesh, everybody say flesh. Lust of the eyes, everybody say eyes. The pride of life, everybody say pride of life. Thank you for responding. If you didn't, let me give you one more chance. Say flesh, eyes, pride of life. Three things. What is phenomenal to me is that in the temptation that Satan had for Jesus, it's clearly those three things. Remember, there's three temptations, right? And there are three categories. They all flow together. Let me tell you why. It's because the Bible is a powerful book and it is designed to make you an overcomer. And the Bible can weigh itself against itself. Jesus is tempted three times and all three times line up to John's writings of all three that categorize in three ways all of the sin, the lust, and all of the mind games that the devil can throw your way. The first temptation tells us, since he's hungry, here's some bread. That first temptation is Satan's appeal to the lust of the flesh. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> the second one is Satan's appeal to the lust of the eyes. How do I know that? Because he took Jesus to a vantage point to gain a perspective so with his eyes he could see all the kingdoms of the world. See, the devil knows what three categories are the three main categories of the world's system of thinking that can bring your thinking down. And he knows if he can get you with personal provision, that is the lust of the flesh, he doesn't need to try anymore. But if that one doesn't work, watch out. Satan wants to appeal to the lust of the eyes. You know what that is? Personal promotion. He wanted to tempt Jesus. He did. He tempted him with personal promotion, saying, I will make you ruler of all the kingdoms of the world. I'll lay them all at your feet. That second temptation didn't take Jesus down. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and neither one of those mind game categories worked. And Jesus Christ moves to the third one, and Satan brings about this temptation. He says, if you will throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, I will make sure that you are then proven to truly be who you say you are. Well, Satan was appealing to the pride of life. How do I know that? Because he was trying to tempt Jesus to adopt and secure his own personal plan without having to go through the cross of suffering. But I thank you, Jesus, today for not shortcutting the process. For if Jesus had, we would not have the 
sin covering of his blood today. Jesus could have prioritized his own pride of life and thrown himself from the temple and created an uproar. And all those who were watching, no doubt, would have created such a stir that he would have quickly gone into his kingship as the Messiah that they, in a worldly way, were expecting. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to jump because I am not going to adopt a personal plan or fall prey to your stinking thinking, devil. I am not going to give in to the pride of life. And he tells him, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. It is written. Friends, I'm telling you these things because I want you to know that inside of those three areas of temptation, all of the world of mind games lies. It's all there. When the devil's coming against you with a thought, with a device, with a game, when he's coming against you with an insult, with slander, with a rumor, he's trying to offend you and drink, bring you down. You know what he's really wanting to do? He's wanting to build a stronghold in your mind that is going to cause you to become disqualified. But as he is beginning the process, how powerful it is for us to realize, oh, I know that's the devil appealing to the lust of the flesh. No way, Jose. No way am I going down that road. The lust of the eye? I'm going to be careful what I watch for the lust of my eyes ends up being a massive temptation and a mind game that I will lose. And if I give in to the pride of life, then I'm lost. But I'm not going to do that. In Jesus' name, I'm going to win. These mind games, you can win. If Hezekiah could win... And Isaiah by his side, praying to their God, telling everybody to stay strong, so can we in Jesus' name. Friends, I can hardly wait until next week when we get to study a little more in depth the mind games specifically that the devil has in store that he's trying and he continues to try. See, he's got a long track record, so all we've got to do is look back and see all the mind games he tossed into the lives of his people, God's people, and many of them fell prey. Let's be ready. Let's not be ignorant of his devices, which is the English word underneath in the Greek, mind games, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. I thank you for the example in your word that shows us that you, Lord, are the victor. That you, O oh Lord, have all power in heaven and earth. I'm believing you in Jesus' name for everybody watching this live stream right now. God, let there be Holy Ghost overwhelming that begins to saturate them and recognize, God, that they don't have to lay their armor down. They don't have to lay their weapons down. But when it comes to serving you, they must stand strong, Lord. I pray that you'd help us all to stand against the wiles of the devil. Help us to be watchful for things that cause us to doubt, to have a double mind. Lord, to doubt about our church, about our pastor, about our doctrine. Lord, th things that cause us to doubt about our, our past, our present, or our future. In Jesus' name, 
Lord, I rebuke the enemy right now. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd let your written word be that which truly brings victory continuously for all of your people today. 